p.m. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Back in on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN, and David Cobb joins the program. Always, always good that he gives some of his time to me on this show, covering college basketball and college football for CBS Sports at David W. Cobb on Twitter, on X, whatever the hell you want to call it. David, what's up, man? Hey, not much, Gabe. Uh, how are you doing? I am I am great. I am great. It, it, honestly, uh, for a late July day, pretty newsy, especially around here. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Isn't that College wild? sports is popping off, man. We got scandals. We got realignment. Player movement never stops, especially in Memphis. Where right. Apparently, Jaden Hardaway is the only returning player. I guess we'll see about DeAndre Williams. That's crazy. And then, yeah, it's just like I feel like the media days are more spaced out on football this year. So I'm like, I'm like fatigued of media days, man. I can't watch another coach press conference on TV. Like I, I'm, I'm ready for actual ball. That's my only complaint because you're right. It's been a very newsworthy month considering it's the offseason. I'm just ready to see some actual on-field college sports again. Well, yeah, the media days are just about behind us, but I do, I do want to see Biff Poggy talk more. You saw that at <laughs> AAC Media Days? Three questions? I did. I, are you guys serious? It's, it's the AAC Media Days, bro. Come yeah, on. Come <laughs> on. Don't, don't fool yourself, brother. Right, exactly. Now, uh, I want to get to college football in a second as we do have some realignment. Uh, we have Colorado likely back to the Big 12. Oh, I mean, almost stamp it. Um, but I, I do have to bring up Penny off the top in this in this uh, off season. This has been ridiculous. Gets Jaquan Walton to decommit from UCF. Jaquan Walton is now headed to Memphis. We know that uh, you know this off season has been interesting for Jaquan Walton. But at one point was committed to Alabama. They stopped recruiting him because of uh, a a issue with marijuana. He got caught with possession of marijuana, and there were some guns with him. Um, but at the same time, when you look at the talent. It's striking. It's striking. And this offseason, from a, from a talent acquisition perspective, has been ridiculous for Penny Hardaway and the staff. Especially the timing of it all. The, he's worked the margins so well at a point in the calendar when there's just been so little to pick from. The fact that he's been able to assemble a top 25 caliber roster when things look so bleak in May – and even into early June, that's what's impressive to me. His back has been against the wall here for a couple of months with putting this roster together. And he's delivered at every turn uh, by landing Jordan Brown, Javon Quinterly, now Jaquan Walton. Uh, those three in particular coming so late in the, in the transfer cycle stick out to me because I think they're going to be three of Memphis' best players next season. Yeah, and the TFAL Leonard Jr., that whole, that whole thing, that that that, that... – that's old news. That doesn't that doesn't much matter seemingly anymore, does it, with the addition to Jaquan Walton? Right. He was interesting from a defensive standpoint, the potential that he would bring there to restore Memphis' defense after they weren't as good defensively last year as they had been in the first few years of, of Penny's tenure. I still think though with the lineup that he's put together with the roster and the rotations that he'll he'll be putting out there this year, that they can be a pretty solid defensive team yep. the identity of this team is to me what's going to be the next question the next evolution right we, we now have a sense of what this roster is going to look like I guess maybe there's still some uncertainty around Mikey Williams but I think honestly you put together a, enough of a veteran core that Mikey Williams I'm not sure what his role is right I mean, we're talking about a 
a fringe five-star prospect here. And maybe 10 years ago that meant, oh, clear-cut starter, maybe double figures, uh, maybe one and done, right? That's what that's what fringe, star, fringe five-star prospect meant a decade ago. I don't think that's what that means anymore. So, you know, we'll see if what transpires there. But I mean, to me, the, the next question is, okay, uh, who's who's our, our leading scorer, right? Because last right. year yep. it, it was so clearly defined. It was Kendrick, it was DeAndre. Even if DeAndre comes back, I'm still curious to know – is DeAndre the clear-cut alpha uh, guy with the ball in his hands on every possession? Or have they put enough other talent around him, specifically with Jordan Brown, uh, to where you play through somebody else now? I'm, I'm, that, that's going to be the next thing for, for Penny to sort through. Right. I, uh, I, I don't know because I, DeAndre Williams is very much a guy that, that seemingly has accepted his role at Memphis. Like there, two years ago, his first year on campus, he didn't take ten shots a game. He he wasn't the guy he was last year from a scoring perspective. So I feel like yeah, he's a guy right. who who will, will defer, to, depending he, on the it, situation. But it it depends on all the other four guys in that starting lineup. Right, and he does so many other things too. He's a rebounder. He's a defender. Uh, you can kind of go through him in the high post. You can, you know, DeAndre is just sort of a guy who. I think can blend into almost any system. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but you, you bring in a guy like Jordan Brown, that guy needs touches on the block. Yes. Right? That he is a traditional old-school big man, unlike any that I think Memphis has had to this point. I know they've had other good bigs with uh, Jalen Duran and, and Precious Achua and, you know, for three games, James Wiseman and, and so on. But uh, Jordan Brown, I think, is different than any big Penny has had to this point in the sense of he can be extremely productive and efficient for you offensively, but that is going to require intentionality yep. with getting him the ball on the block um, and not playing hero ball on the perimeter for 15 seconds in the shot clock, but uh, going through him. Otherwise, I don't think he'll be utilized to his utmost potential. And I see a, a player there in Jordan Brown who I have ranked quite highly, former Pac-12 Sixth Man of the Year, yes. uh, who I think could be – a really dominant player in the AAC if, if utilized properly. They have two former uh, Power Five Six Mans of the Year, right? J- Javon Quinterly as well, I believe, in the point. SEC. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's it's wild to see the, the collection of experienced talent, which we know wins in college basketball, that, that they've collected. Um, it, You say borderline or like fringe top 25. If DeAndre Williams comes back, Jaquan Walton is sort of that – potential first guy off the bench maybe he starts I don't know how the, how they all figure that thing uh, how they figure this this rotation out with all this talent but I mean you say fringe top 25 is it, it, you you believe fringe top 25 and that's and that's it or do you think they could I mean top 20 top 15 from a talent well, perspective the, it's it's from, hard from a to talent it's, perspective yes yeah okay. no I'm there I'm there on a talent perspective now when you only have one returning player I mean that's insane like we see attrition and turnover all the time in college basketball but almost everyone around the country who's going to be in Memphis's company, uh, sniffing the top 25 or just outside, just Has inside, some continuity. whatever. Right. They're going to have at least a couple of players back who you know they can rely on, who have played together, who know the system. Right. We're talking about the coach's son is literally the only returning player. I don't mean that disparagingly. It's just, it's just a fact. Uh, so yep. there's definitely going to be some acclimation and, and hurdles there. And, you know, we've seen this before with Penny – a big incoming class of talented players, and there, there's a, just a lot to work through, a lot to sort out uh, in terms of roles, uh, egos, things of that nature. Uh, and I don't, I don't think it's as, as disastrous maybe as a bringing Amani Bates and 
Jalen Duran in at the last moment as reclass and they're 17 or 18 years old and there's that friction between classes. I mean, I think it kind of helps that everybody's going to be coming in at the same time, acclimating to this together. Uh, but at some point, there's going to be a handful of these guys who get uh, left on the outside looking in of the rotation. And that's problematic, potentially. And, mm-hmm. you know, Penny's going to have to sort through that and, and kind of figure out pretty quickly. Uh, it's it's going to help them a lot, I think, to have this, this foreign trip that they're doing. Yep. Because you can go ahead and start to, to see how things look on the court against actual competition. Yep. And I know that's not college basketball level um, power conference uh, type of opponents, but it, it's at least somebody wearing a different uniform and will give him a chance to begin uh, mixing and matching and figuring out what works. He is David Cobb, covered college basketball and college football for CBS Sports on Twitter, at David W. Cobb. Now on to uh, college football. Colorado gets the gets the go from the Big 12. The only step he, now is for Colorado to ultimately accept a bid into the Big 12, and everybody feels like, I mean, that is it feels like it's stamped. I, I didn't think, and I texted you last night, uh, when we were when we were planning on you coming on the show, I, I didn't think that uh, Colorado in their current form as a athletic department would really sort of hold the infinity stones of the rest of the country <laughs> and where realignment is going to head. But this is this is this is going to cause a lot. How much do you buy into the sort of domino effect theory that's been thrown out there of okay, the four corner schools or other schools from the Pac twelve following Colorado because they're the first domino to fall? Well, I think it means the Big 12 is definitely going to look to add another school as well because with Colorado coming in, they're going to be at an odd number. And I think they're going to want to be at an even number. I think they're going to want to be at at 14. Uh, So they're going to a 14-game schedule this year with the four new members and uh, with Texas, uh, Texas and Oklahoma before they leave. Or is it 16? I get my math all, all mixed up. But you get the point. Right. They, they're, 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 they need to get back to an even number. Colorado puts them at an odd number. So, yeah, yeah I do think they're going to look for, for another team. Preferably, I think from their point of view, that would be another one of those Pac-12 schools, uh, four-corner schools, or in Oregon or Washington. Uh, and then, of course, we've heard UConn mentioned. We've heard Memphis on the outskirts of that discussion as well. Uh, so I think this just opens up the door for more. And some of that could be a, a further implosion of the Pac-12. I mean, I don't know where these schools are going to go if they look to jump. But I think I think Colorado uh, leaving is going to make the whatever, however close they were to the finish line from a, a media rights deal in the Pac-12. I think it just sets them back a little bit because yep. yeah, he, Colorado is is not a juggernaut in any respect. But Dion was going to be a huge TV draw these mm-hmm. next couple of seasons, and you lose that. And I think if you're a TV uh, broadcaster it makes you go back to the table and say well hold on a second now we were anticipating and projecting Deion Sanders to uh, be an attraction here that uh, drew monster TV ratings and now you're saying that we're only going to have one year with him in the league let's let's reevaluate this well if Colorado is talking about jumping ship isn't the thought process there that they have probably seen a projected number you would think you would think uh but as recently as a week ago, right, everything was all hunky-dory, and they were, they were in. So how would they have seen a number in, in Arizona not? You know, that, that's yep. my question. I, I, think in, I think this is a, a long-term play for them. I think it's going back to something that was actually better for them 
than the Pac-12 ever was. And with USC and UCLA leaving, I mean, the Pac-12 is not even going to be on the level of prestige that it was for the last 10 years. And those 10 years haven't been all that good for Colorado. So I think Mm -hmm. this is them making a decision to return to their, their comfort zone and a league they feel like is more stable. And you know what, if the Pac-12 comes out with a TV number uh, for, for per school payout, that's actually higher than the big 12, then, you know, there might be a little bit of short-term fallout from that. But I think in the long run, this is a move that they feel like is, is better for them. Even if that short-term figure somehow ends up being, you know, a little bit at odds with that. I, I mentioned this yesterday, but isn't it strange that, okay, you have Colorado leaving the Big 12 in 2010, and you like to think that maybe these athletic departments have a little bit of foresight about what's going to happen with the future of, of college athletics, but uh, it's seemingly they, they didn't have any of that foresight. They're heading right back to the Big 12, the Big 12 13 years later, right? Yeah, like that, that's, that's strange to me. Yeah, the, the old bounce back. You don't see that a whole lot in conference realignment. We see bounce back transfers sometimes. Yeah, you know, the we, Tyler yes. Harris's of the world. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sure. Who didn't leave again, by the way? But you know, uh, <laughs> no. With the, the the with the Colorado situation, it is bizarre. It would be like it would be like Missouri going back to the Big Twelve. Like, oh, okay. Like, you're good now. You're going back. I don't know. It's just it's it's unorthodox. It's unusual. It's unprecedented. But hey, these these are the times uh, that we live in. And College football, I am curious behind the scenes. Uh, I'd like to know what, if any, influence has Deion Sanders had on this decision right. uh, as Colorado has considered this. Because you know, who knows how long Deion Sanders is going to be the head coach of Colorado. But, my gosh, that guy has some influence, even though he's never coached a game there, in terms of getting them to uh, loosen their transfer standards, uh, helping him get more guys in. Uh, from my understanding, they weren't letting – the, the previous head coaches at Colorado execute the type of roster churn that, that Deion Sanders has this season, just from an institutional support standpoint. So he's kind of got the keys to the car there at Colorado, and I would have to imagine not only does he sign off on this move, but he might even be pushing for it because I think in his mind it could be a way for them to uh, get a stronger foothold recruiting in Texas. It, it's probably in his mind a way for them to uh, – have some more marquee matchups, right? Like he, he's mm-hmm. savvy. He's smart. He worked in TV as an analyst. He was, he's still, I think involved in barstool. And if he sees his product going to a streaming platform in the, in the pac 12, whereas the big 12 is going to remain linear and, and have that exposure for him and his program, he's going to push that administration uh, to go to the big 12 where there's going to be that additional exposure. So that's something I'm, I'm interested in and learning more about as this saga continues to unfold is, is what level did uh, Deion Sanders have in influencing this this decision? Pac-12 on Tubi coming soon? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, like, what linear spot is left? Like NBC, ABC? All uh, these guys, they're, they're overextended. They're overextended they at this are. point, and the product's just not compelling enough in the Pac-12. Yeah, and, and ESPN's kind of booked up as well, uh, so it's yeah, where are they going to go? They want to be cutting edge, they want to be new age, they want to go streaming, but I just don't think the money is there yet uh, for that to really be uh, conducive to their their revenue needs. And, and more so exposure, too, right? Like, I, yeah, money, mm-hmm. um, if you're going on Apple TV, right, money would, would be less, but the exposure, too, would you'd be at a at – a, that would be a problem as well. You wouldn't get enough eyes yeah. on it. You almost got to go weeknight or something. I mean, yeah. you could put some good – something other than the Mac, 
on in on Thursday nights, right? Like that would be okay. Like I could get down with watching the Pac-12 on Thursday nights or Friday nights, which they do a little bit of already. Uh, but you almost feel like they've got to go just so totally outside of the box and creative in that way. And, uh, you know, I, there's nothing creative or entrepreneurial or bold whatsoever uh, from the Pac-12. And that's that predates George Klyovkov. I mean, he's been nothing more than a wet paper sack himself yeah. thus far. But, like, I mean, he walked into a terrible situation as well. Just because I just don't think that conference is really all that athletically. Um, they just don't prioritize athletics like the rest of the Power Five does because they're we've talked about this before. They're just more interested in, in your research tier, your academic affiliations, um, your religious affiliations. Those are the things that they're interested in. They don't necessarily prioritize uh, the things that the other conferences do when it comes to these things. So I, I, I think obviously ultimately for the Pac-12, it's been the ghost of Larry Scott haunting them. But George Klyavkov, when, when there was some uh, destabilization of the Big 12, there was a thought process that the Pac-12 could reach into the Big 12, but they didn't. They instead do the whole uh, uh, what was it the alliance and they and they tried to keep everybody <laughs> where they were for a second. I, that was that was uh, sort of what they were going with. Uh, it, how much do you put this on the shoulders of George Klyavkov of where where the Pac-12 is and is going to be? Well, I think this moment in college sports requires bold, forward-thinking ideas, and I think George Klyavkov has has lacked those a uh, bold, forward-thinking, entrepreneurial. Uh, ideas at a time when every other commissioner has at least brought something to the table. I mean, Greg Sankey is the leading voice in college athletics, sparked this wave of realignment with Texas and Oklahoma. Kevin Warren, for all the criticism he received over the COVID situation in the Big Ten, he responded by adding USC, UCLA, and and signing the biggest media rights deal in college sports history for his conference. Uh, the ACC is is a little bit teetering here. They're, they're not in, in the best spot, but they've at least gone to this uh, revenue distribution model, that's at least something uh, to to satisfy the Florida States and the Clemsons of the world and their league. And then, of course, the Big 12. I mean, your mark has just been guns blazing. Yep. We're open for business. I've been We're impressed. going to Mexico. Like, yeah, I mean, I think half the stuff he's doing is kind of kind of wacko, right? But at least he's trying stuff. At least yep. he's, he's putting himself out there. He's adding teams. He's uh, being bold about what they are going to be in the future and, and – really throwing his weight around to make sure the Big 12 stays relevant. And then you just see with the Pac-12, more of the old school academic alliance. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, let's, let's all just hold hands and, and, and look out for the, the welfare <laughs> of the student athletes. You know, right. I mean, you know, it's just like that, that, that doesn't work anymore. You gotta be a killer. Yeah, you gotta be a killer, right? You do, you do. And, and, you know, it's a brutal situation to walk into. I mean, at the end of the day, though, if you're George Klyovkov, this is what you get paid for, man. Like, these are, you know, you walk into a brutal situation, but you're making a lot of money uh, to be there, and you got to figure it out on the fly. And, and so far, he has, I think, been unable to do that. Talking with David Cobb, CBS Sports. All right, let's try to relate this to Memphis. It's hard to feel overly positive. I know you said they've been on the periphery of the Big 12. It's been for a while, since about, what, 2015, 2016, they've been <laughs> on the periphery. Um but this is more of the more so than conference realignment. I guess you know if we're talking group of five or, or I guess independent in football, UConn would be the team that probably would jump the line and be the the realignment conversation in, in joining the Big Twelve. But feels more like conference consolidation at this point, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting way of of thinking about it. I, I don't really see why UConn is so attractive 
to the Big 12. I understand they are the reigning national champions in college basketball, and the Big 12 is the best basketball conference in the country. So from that point of view, it makes sense. However, college basketball is a much smaller portion of the financial pie than college football, and UConn has a really bad college football program. Yep. The idea that they would want Oklahoma State, Baylor, and TCU traveling to play at Connecticut in November is baffling to me. I don't think that would be all that interesting to those uh, fan bases in Texas and Oklahoma and in that region of the country to have a, a late-season road game in stores, Connecticut. Uh, it's just a, it's a strange fit to me. Uh, Memphis's candidacy is interesting, too. I, I saw you uh, yesterday having a, a, a discussion in regards to uh, is this Liberty Bowl renovation really going to get done? Right. Because that's been a, a feather in the cap that the University of Memphis has been touting and promoting, you know, uh, while they're trying to uh, get into a bigger league or a better league. And, you know, if there's uncertainty over that, uh, what does that mean from the Memphis perspective? And, and you may have probably more insight into that than I do. Yeah, it feels like the, you know, I mean, when we're talking about the money that's been allocated from the state, it feels like it's going to go to the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies are going to ask for it. But my only issue with that whole thing, and I, I understand you do not want the Grizzlies to leave. You want them to re-up on a 25-year lease. But um, I feel like it's more of an appeasement for the Grizzlies, and I feel like there is growth opportunity if you were to if you were to invest all the money that the university wants up front to, to make Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium better. I feel like the growth opportunity there would be larger than putting $400 million worth of renovations into FedEx Forum. Yeah, you're right. And, and the counterpoint to that that you and, and Jeff and others have made, right, is that the Tigers can't leave. Yep. The, the city of Memphis has them trapped here. University of Memphis isn't going to relocate to uh, Las Vegas. Uh, yep. University of Memphis isn't going to relocate to uh, Seattle. <laughs> uh, so so they're, they're here. They're stuck in the city and the state. They, they know that. They understand that. And the, the Grizzlies can always dangle that threat uh, of leaving, and that, that would be potentially devastating. But you're right. If they can somehow manage to uh, get Memphis the upgrades and the, and the money and the investment that it needs to bump up a league, you talk about opening up a new world in terms of uh, Memphis as a Power 5 school, the revenue that, that comes from that, the visibility that comes from that. You no, know, those are those are big time things. Like I've I've expressed my skepticism over what that would look like on the field and on the court, and uh, sometimes it can be really difficult from a win loss perspective to jump up a new league. And from a fan standpoint, it's not as fun when you lose more, and that's often the reality of jumping up a league. But there's no doubt that that jumping up a league would be tremendously beneficial to not only the the school but the city for all those city, reasons yep. we talk about as, as a sports you know, market, but, as a sports market yeah. altogether. Right, exactly. So it becomes more attractive in a, in a number of ways. And the forum is still great. I mean, I would still say the forum right. is no worse. I don't than hear any complaints, David. I really There's don't. Nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's no worse, no worse than a middle-of-the-pack NBA arena. And it, honestly, it gets good reviews. <laughs> I, I, people that come from out of town and go to the forum, I never hear anything but glowing reviews of FedEx right. Forum. And yeah. I, I think maybe that has to do with where it's placed right there by Beal and how much it really is in the prime real estate of the city. But um, at the same time, I, I don't think it needs $400 million worth of renovations. But if the Grizzlies feel it does, you have to appease them by giving those $400 million. Now, uh, with the Pac-12, I want to I go back to this. In football, this is kind of a tough time for this all to spiral out of control because the Pac-12 seemingly 
at least this year, should have a relatively compelling product with all the quarterback play. Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, uh, Michael Penix Jr., Cam Rising, Shador Sanders, Cam Ward. You just keep going down the list. They have dudes. They have absolute dudes at the quarterback position. DJU going DJ to DJU, right. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a fun year for football in the Pac-12, actually. Uh, Pac-12 after dark is, is going to be lit th- this year. So, you know what, maybe that, maybe that helps them, right? Like they get some, some monster uh, TV figures. But the, the problem for the Pac-12, and any TV executive can realize this pretty quickly, is that USC and, and Colorado are going to be their biggest draws this year and probably going to uh, account for half of their most watched games, if yep. not more. And uh, those teams aren't going to be a part of it moving forward. So, yeah, it detracts. It detracts. The, the whole realignment saga does. It gives us something to talk about, something for, for me and my colleagues to write about. But it does detract a little bit from the on-field uh, product. Sure and, you know, I think we're going we're gonna to have some interesting uh, college football coming up this year. I think there's – I mean, obviously, Georgia enters the season as the clear-cut uh, number one team in the country, but um, there, there's some some evolving and shifting uh, pieces with Alabama and Ohio State having new quarterbacks. You mentioned the Pac-12 having a lot coming back and maybe trying to crack that four-team playoff for the first time in years and years. So uh, the realignment stuff is interesting. I hope it gets sorted out by the time the actual season rolls around because it can be a distraction from from the actual on on the field stuff. For sure. Last thing for you, David. Talk with David Cobb at David W Cobb on Twitter, covering college basketball and college football for CBS Sports. Would you rather have Fleck Bucks or uh, Shroot Bucks? I know you're the one who put that out there. Uh, for those that don't know, I talked about it yesterday. PJ Fleck uh, had a story published about him in front office sports by AJ Perez about toxicity within the program. A lot of unnamed uh, former players talking about how narcissistic he is you know he needs people to give him a standing o when he walks in if he doesn't like the standing o he walks back out and walks back in and that standing o better be on point by the time he walks back in and also the the fleck bucks is interesting where you 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 go out in the community do community service get good grades and he may look over drug tests obviously that's all alleged but um strange story but i i ultimately chalk this up as david this is this is this is college football. This is this is what happens around the country in a lot of places. Maybe not the Fleck Bucks thing, uh, but I've seen people look over drug tests for talent, right? I've I've seen people look over uh, uh, off-field arrests before in the grand scheme of things and still play guys on Saturdays. I I I, I, I sort of saw this as a no story. What do you think of it? Yeah, uh, Gabe. Let me ask. You, how are you doing today? I how am I doing today? Yeah, you're supposed to say elite. That's what you say. Oh, yeah. Say, yeah, I'm elite. I'm elite, yes. <laughs> I can't say I'm good. I can't say I'm bad. I'm elite. I'm elite today, David. That's right. And that's PJ Fleck for you. He's goofy. He's For Tennessee fans out there, he is like Butch Jones on crack. I mean, he is cliches, slogans, uh, acronyms. I mean, he's, he's, he's goofy. It's his bit. And so for people to describe their, their – his program as like a cult doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, I think anybody who's paid close attention to PJ Fleck dating back to Western Michigan knows that he runs his program differently. <laughs> and right. they make no bones about that either. Like they embrace that. If you watch his, his address, the big media today, they're like, okay, this guy's kind of weird. He's a little different. And that works for some players. It doesn't work for others. And it's no surprise that uh, some people are rubbed the wrong way by that. It's, it's no surprise that uh, they are willing to speak out against some of that stuff, right? But there was no smoking gun in the front office sports uh, report. 
P.J. Fleck was pretty forceful in his rebuttal against that stuff today. And I think the point that's worth making, which we made in our coverage of all this over the last couple of days at CBS, is that you know, some of the allegations that were in that front office sports report were investigated years ago and uh, found to be um, inaccurate, right? Or, mm-hmm. or there was nothing damning ultimately there in, in the end. So at the end of the day, uh, if things start going wrong for Minnesota on the field, it'll be easy to fire P.J. Fleck because – uh, he's he's kind of goofy. He's kind of weird. And if it st- if it stops working, he's an easy guy to part with. But so long as it's working good enough for them, they're not going to look for a, for a reason to fire this guy. Uh, it's just uh, he's got the backing of his athletic director and his and his administration. So, yeah, I'm with you, man. Um, you played college football, and you know yeah. a lot of people who play college football not only at Memphis but at places around the country. And it's different. And I think this Northwestern stuff kind of pulls back the curtain for some people, and maybe they were on the extreme side. Uh, but for those of us who have been around it for any length of time, uh, we know how the sausage is made, and it's not always pretty. Uh, no, sometimes it's, it's weird. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a fireable offense to run your program in a, in a, in a strange way. Yeah. Now, I, I, I made this example yesterday. I, I, I put off the narcissistic bit, but when we're talking about energetic and – guys that hold you to this higher standard that really want their culture to be ingrained in you. Mike Norvell was very similar. I'll tell you that right <laughs> now. I mean, he's he's a high-energy guy. You get what you get every single morning when you walk into the facility. I, I didn't see it as that much different, maybe outside of the Fleck Bucks thing. If that is, <laughs> obviously, that's still a legend. Um, but I didn't see that much different than Mike Norvell. And a lot of a yeah. lot of coaches around the country, they're they're just kind of they're built different. You have to be built different to to coach Division One high level Power Five college football. Well, let me ask you, what kind of applause did you guys give Mike Norvell when he would walk into the team meeting room? Uh, it was different. I don't know if we gave applause. You, you sort of you, you you gave respect. You got quiet when he came in. That sort of that was sort right. of the style, right? You didn't right. want to be talking too much, or you may have yeah, to hear about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, man. College football is is different. Uh, honestly, if you want a behind the scenes look at the way things are, I mean, go go watch the Dion stuff on Amazon Prime. I mean, Absolutely. I know that's made for theater. It's it's there's a certain level of production that that falsifies the reality, but I mean, it's at least something that gives you a glimpse into how things are really done. And uh, yeah, it's it's not for everybody, man. I don't know that I could have made it five minutes in in a college football you know program. The flex stuff would have rubbed me the wrong way, right? I mean, of course, it's just. Uh, it's it's not for for everybody, and uh, you know the, I'm not sitting here defending PJ Fleck as a you know some guru of college football culture, and his results have been fine, mediocre, mediocre to fine to to somewhat above average. I mean, at Minnesota. Min- at Minnesota, yeah, above average, but yeah. So I don't know. It's just, I don't think it's going to get him in any real trouble. But again, it's one of those things where, in the long run, if things start to go south there, you keep an eye on stuff like this because. Uh, it starts to snowball. People are much more willing to speak out against a coach who's no longer having success. Absolutely. And uh, so I think in that sense, it's not good for P.J. Fleck, but this right here, the stuff we're talking about today, eh, doesn't really uh, negatively impact him in the moment, I don't think. I, I agree wholeheartedly. But, David, appreciate you hopping on, man. We'll do it again soon. Hi, Gabe. I appreciate it. You're the man. David Cobb at David W. Cobb covering college basketball and college football for CBS. Now, the Blitz is on the way. We'll do that next on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM, ESPN. 
Now, the biggest stories overloading the line of bull rush of info. It's Gabe's Blitz on the Gabe Coon Show on 92.9 FM ESPN, Memphis's sports station. And the Blitz is brought to you by Sissy's Log Cabin. Brad, what you got for me? All right, Gabe, Shohei Otani is going nowhere. The Angels swear they're buyers. Now, um, trade deadline, August 1st, 5 p.m. Central Time. How about that? And they have made a trade. The Angels have brought in some pitching. They brought in Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez. Solid pickups. Yeah. Um, Lucas Giolito can be a good starting arm for them. He hadn't had his best year by any stretch of the imagination, but he certainly can eat up some innings and be a solid pitcher. Reynaldo Lopez has been around the league for a long time mm-hmm. and been a solid relief pitcher from the right side. Solid pickups. Um, I still don't know if I believe in the Angels. Like that That's the end of the day problem I have with not dealing Shohei Otani. But I'll get I'll get to all the reasons I feel like Artie Moreno is sticking by him. They're seven games behind the Rangers for the division. But all they have to do is make up four games in the wild card. Here's my problem. You're chasing the Red Sox, who are 14-5 and five in July, best in baseball. They're getting hot at a good time, and they have some talent on that team. We, we, let's not fool ourselves. They're chasing the Yankees. They've underachieved, but they seemingly every year are the best team that they think money can buy, right? The Blue Jays. Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette, George Springer, Matt Chapman, the right. Astros. I, I shouldn't have to explain their dominance yeah. since about 2010, right? I mean, hell, they won the World Series last year, and they're also chasing the race. Struggling currently, but they haven't won less than 85 games since 2017, and they're, they're nothing if not consistent throughout the re- regular mm-hmm. seasons, and by the time they get to the playoffs, they're usually a playoff team, wild card, whatever it may be, even in the AL East that's loaded. Um... I think what's really happening here is Artie Moreno, their owner, has spent all of his money. <laughs> he spent on <laughs> Anthony Rendon. That hadn't worked out. Yeah. Spent on Shohei. Spent on Trout. And he wants to see it through while he can. Yeah. I mean, they're top five in payroll, and they have one more year of Shohei or the rest of this year with Shohei. They just want to see yeah. what, what can happen here. Um, but I, I just think the Angels, like compared to the teams they're chasing, they haven't been relevant since what? Like Tim Salmon, Troy Gloss, David Eckstein, and yeah. uh, uh, John Lackey is the last time they won a World Series, God. 2002. That's the last time they've been really relevant. Um, in the meantime, though, I do get the thought process behind Shohei making the Angels relevant. He puts butts in the seats. And if I'm Marty Moreno... I am dreaming of a playoff game with Shohei involved, Mike Trout involved, Anthony Rendon, all the guys mm. they have on that roster. I can't blame him for trying to go after it. I usually praise guys for trying to go after it. That being said, if you don't make a run in the playoffs, which I don't think this team is capable of making this substantial World Series run in the playoffs, and you just let Shohei walk ultimately, what was it all for? Right? Like, you have the option right now to trade him to a contender Mm -hmm. and get a return at the least. You may not like the full return, but get a return because he's going to walk. He's not coming back to the Angels. Unless you guys somehow, by the grace of God, win a World Series. Then he'd think about it. But so so me, your odds may be that's where you're putting your odds, I guess. To me, it just seems like a waste of resources. Yeah. You have this guy right here. You could probably get some prospects for him. Why wouldn't you do it? Yeah. And I have also heard, I have heard that Artie Moreno thinks they really do have a chance to sign him back. Really? No, you don't. How many times has he explained? Obviously, he's got a translator. Mm-hmm. But how many times has he explained he's frustrated with not winning? You're not a winning franchise. You haven't been for some time now. 
It just seems unserious to me. But we'll see how they fare. I think there's a lot of people that are positive about what the Angels can do in making up this four-game deficit they have in the wild card. Do you feel bad for the Angels at all? <sighs> Not particularly, no. Well, in, I, I bring that up because Trout's had some injury problems. Rendon, too. Rendon. They, they have not been complete, really, for him. So, But having said that, though, they've also bungled a lot of games. They've had management issues, clearly. Uh, so so this is this is a two-fold problem. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they've tried to sign guys over the years and pay a lot of money. Yep. They've tried big to go money, after it. Big yeah, money. Yeah, like they bring in Noah Syndergaard. He yeah. was terrible. Yeah. Right? Um, Mike Trout, you had to pay him. Mm-hmm. Shohei, you bring him in. Anthony Rendon was a terrible contract. He was 30 yep. when he got that contract. Yep. And it was way down the road, and he hasn't done anything really in an yeah, Angels uniform. So, like, probably. I don't really feel all that bad. I, I, for as him. a Cardinals fan, I wish that the team would spend like the Angels have spent, though. That's that's what's frustrating, you know. Like they've bungled this thing. But I feel like you got to spend smarter. I and think the you Angels have to spend, just yes. have not done that. They have they that's, have fallen short of that. But yep. ultimately, we'll see. Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez. I do think that that helps them actively yes. right now. They need pitching. And they have a four-game deficit to make up, but I am I'm predisposed to believe the Angels will fall short. I don't know about you. That's just sort of my. <laughs> the owner is. I clearly, talked about yesterday the Lions being the Lions yeah, in the NFC North. I feel yeah. like that about the Angels to a certain extent. I think that's a really good point. That's that's it. where I'm that's, at. That's but it. At the Snake same time, I, I listen. I, I don't usually fault teams for going after it, but in their current situation with how they're constructed. I just feel like you need to think about the future, and keeping Shohei right now is not doing anything for your future. Are you rooting for the Angels to make a World Series run? Um, it would be a hell of a story, wouldn't it? Yes. It would be a hell of a story, and maybe Shohei would be inclined to come back. But I don't, I don't know. want him playing for the know. Astros. I, here's the thing. Or, I don't know or, if I'm actively know. rooting for it. I do think it would be a fun story to follow. Yeah, though. that's fair. That's fair. Yeah! All right, I like this story a lot. Sean Payton is doesn't give an F. He tells Jared Bell from USA Today, who's their NFL guy, he said he's going to, he's going to be pissed off if the Broncos are not a playoff team, which that makes sense. And they've added, of course, uh, some help for Russell Wilson. Uh, of course, they're working with Russell Wilson. But in working with Russell Wilson, Payton says uh, of Nathaniel Hackett, <laughs> one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL last season under Hackett. Sean Payton is at his at his second stop now as a head coach. He's stopped caring. Wow. He's just going to say it. But is he wrong? No. No. I would say no. They were terrible, no. and they had no business being that terrible. Right. And it, it had to do with situational play calling. They had a good defense. Their yeah. defense was top ten last year. Mm-hmm. But Russell Wilson had a miserable year dealing with Nathaniel Hackett. Um, and I feel like Nathaniel Hackett, this is sort of a little abstract, but he allowed Russell Wilson to have his own office, and he allowed Russell Wilson to bring in his own private trainer. Sean Payton didn't have any of that. He's he's owning the locker room, whereas it felt like Russell Wilson probably tried to do a little bit too much, and it rubbed his teammates the wrong way. Yeah. I don't think Sean Payton's going to stand for any of that. Um, they are, They have the makeup of a playoff team. Yes. Decent offensive yes. line. Russell yes. Wilson, I think, is a better quarterback. Uh, then, then we give credit for Javante Williams in the backfield, Jerry Judy on the outside. You still have Cortland Sutton. Like they have the things on the offensive side of the ball to succeed. Defensive side of the ball, they're very solid as well. Again, a top ten group. Um, I'd be pissed off too. Yeah. If if I don't make the playoffs with this group, I know you're in the AFC West and you have to deal with the Chiefs and the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Like you're dealing with some things there. Um, 
But I do love him talking spicy. It, I love yeah, the spicy talk. I love the. Trash does that talk come from? Years. And you would know this better than I have, having you know worked out with these teams and seeing what's uh, what's going on when when these guys go to the NFL. Is that because if you're Sean Payton and you're looking at what's going on, you're going, "Holy crap! I'm dealing with this because this is how things worked last year." Is he witnessing like you know the the office, the personal trainer? I think that's all changed right now. Uh, I think he day fixed one. That. And I'm telling you right now. I, I I don't think this is going out on a limb. I think we have a massive bounce back season from Russell Wilson. Like he just tears it up. I, I mean, the tears system it will up, be good. Tears it up. I I, I you know, I, I think he can throw for about four thousand yards. There were moments though last TD year. To INT ratio. That's what I'm looking at. He did not put him in good situations last year. I, I'm not an offensive guru, but it just look. He looked uncomfortable. I remember the situation, I, I believe it was uh, Monday Night Football, yep. where they kicked a 62-yarder and they ran 30 seconds off the, off yes. the clock. And they, they didn't, yeah, they took the quarterback off like the field. Nathaniel Hackett just wasn't a good no. coach. Sean Payton is a good coach. I, I feel like this is going to be a bounce-back year for the Broncos and a massive bounce-back year for Russell Wilson. we got to see. Um, also, mm. Sean Payton took a shot at the Jets. He says the only uh, winning they're going to have is in the offseason. And he said... Uh, talking about the Broncos, his team. We're yeah. not going to do any of that. The Jets did that this year. You watch hard knocks, all of it. I can see it coming. He's And they play in week five. He's trying to take some shots at the Jets. It's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to watch. Week five, Broncos, Jets, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. That'll be nice. I, I don't know. Hey, I wish I had Sean Payton's confidence. I really do. Like, that dude is yeah, – he doesn't, he doesn't care. Why – if I'm Sean Payton, why wouldn't I have confidence? What were the Saints before Sean Payton? Right? That, that's, yeah. where I, that's where I come from with this. He really, the history of winning in New Orleans starts and finishes with Sean Payton. Were well, there some things along okay, the way that okay. were like the bounty gate and everything else that may have marred and Let a little bit Let me bring up a name for you. John Gruden. Okay. John Gruden had great success in Tampa. Right. Early Raiders, g- great success. He goes back to the Raiders and looks like dog crap. <sighs> I, I, this could be an unpopular take. Final year that he had his hands on that team, and obviously he got fired midseason. Yeah. Rich Passaccia took over. They were 10-7. and seven. They turned it. They were not they a bad did. team. I think no, John and he Martin, almost got the job. Big he, fan of the Raiders no, would agree with that. They, he, he probably should have got the job. There were people that thought he, he deserved the job at tenants after and now, that season. Now John Gruden out the door and, and Josh McDaniels. He brought McDaniels in and it has not worked. It has not worked. I, I, I'm just saying. I still think John Gruden had a little bit in the tank. Obviously, he's never going to get a chance There was more again. there is what you're saying. Not to Passaccia. He, was, he, he wasn't was not him. bad with the Raiders. He was not bad. Like I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can really make that case. Maybe like Mike Mayock, not the best GM, oh, made some, yeah. you know, pulled yeah. some strings that he probably didn't need to. But John Gruden won bet. But I, I, I some think of the Sean speedster Payton, draft picks, I'll, though, you know, like they, the and the usage was a little bizarre. I'll say this too about Sean Payton through the years, having seen him deal with Drew Brees and, and his offensive yeah. schemes and all of the guys that that he had on that side of the ball I think even more so than John Gruden he's probably a better offensive mind yeah and I think John Gruden's a pretty good offensive mind okay. as well ultimately but we'll see what happens this year it's gonna be fun to watch and you're talking a lot of talking a lot of trash ahead of <laughs> For time real. talking a lot of trash yeah. ahead of time but I do not disagree with his sentiment about yeah. one of the worst coaching jobs in the history the, of the, the, now the yeah, Jets I mean, quote is a little bit of a stretch we'll see yeah we'll, we'll see. see we'll see but that'll do it for the blitz Need to wrap this show up, though. And we'll do that next with the Rewind right here on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 F.
Now, it's the Rewind. Now, we play it back like Rewind. Brought to you by Memphis Barbecue Company. Rewind on 92.9. Jaquan Walton is the Tiger. 6'7 wing. Started his career at Georgia. Last year at Wichita State. Has had an interesting offseason. Had some possession of marijuana issues. Some guns involved. But UCF, he had committed. So, I guess the thought process is... What's good for UCF may be good for Memphis as well. But you're bringing a guy who's a 40% three-point shooter, a really sizable wing, five rebounds per game, two assists per game. You learned about TFL Leonard Jr. being out. Penny works quick. <laughs> and I think he upgraded. Maybe you don't get the defensive prowess, but you get the offensive prowess. Talk with Jeff Calkins and David Cobb about that when they joined today. Also, I talked with David Cobb pretty intrusively about Colorado to the Big 12. Doesn't look great for Memphis to the Big 12, let's be honest. They're way on the periphery of Power 5 realignment. And the conference realignment conversation seems to have shifted to conference consolidation. You have Pac-12 schools lining with the Big 12. I I guess the only one on the outside that could end up joining is UConn. But we'll see how this all plays out. But Colorado definitely caused a massive shift in college sports in general. Fast forward. Fast forward. ACC Media Days was today, so maybe there'll be some uh, nice little quotes out of that. All 32 teams are now in training camp, so more NFL news is on the way. And what do we learn about conference realignment in the next 24? That will be on the show You think there's more coming We'll see. Between now and. We'll see. We'll see. Well, Colorado may officially (laughs) officially jump. Uh, But there's plenty to come on tomorrow's show. That's a wrap for today, though. Thanks to Dave Cobb and Jeff Calkins for their contributions to the show. We'll meet back here at the same time tomorrow. But in the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and pass you off to Joe and Amber for Brad. I'm Gabe. Be easy, be safe, and enjoy the rest of your night.